0: where we will discuss cooperative and solo board games. Join us as we talk about board games and news, followed by a discussion topic. But today's t- discussion topic will have a special guest, actually. So my name is Steve, and join me today is a familiar voice, Colin.
1: Hey, hey, hey!
0: Hey, Colin! It's been a while since you've been on this podcast.
1: Yeah, I don't really remember how to do this. You don't. You guys don't want to know how long it took us to get the audio working again for this podcast. I think it took us an hour. Yeah, so, (laughs) it's good to be back, but I think Steve's going, why didn't I find someone else who actually knows how to use their computer?
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, there's technical issues, of course, so, fun stuff.
1: Yeah, so, Steve, thanks so much. I mean, if you think about it, we tried to do this last week, so, on a Friday, my power went out because we were having a thunderstorm, then, Steve had something, what what was going on for you, Steve, when we tried to meet, like, on Sunday?
0: Oh, I had some, ear fluid... Build up, and I couldn't hear, so
1: <laughs> that's right. And then I lost my voice when we were going to try and do it, uh, the pod on Monday. So we ended up just skipping last week or a couple weeks ago. So sorry about that, but we are back and ready to rock. So, Steve, since I've been pretty much unreachable because of trying to move an entire family and household to a new location, I want to know what have you been playing recently?
0: I've got a couple uh, newer games uh, that came up. Well, actually, one newer game to so say, well. I say it's newer, but it's a new mode of play. I haven't tried yet, but it's an older old game, and that's Dead of Winter. Uh, there's been a game group that's kind of developed in my area, and it's, we try to meet monthly, and it's kind of it's kind of cool how this, this came about. It's been kind of a, a natural progression to a group of us meeting every month, but we just, he has Dead of Winter. And he's one of his favorite games, and we decided to try that fully cooperative um, I've never tried it that way. I've always tried it um with the trader mix in our possibility of a trader mix in I should say. And so we played that game and lost horribly again, and I'm pretty convinced that game's not winnable. I've never seen anybody get even close to winning that game. But we all had a good time playing that game and it's it's a pretty fun zombie game, so.
1: I'm impressed. I actually usually assume that a game where they want you to have a trader, I'm thinking of a game like Shadows over Camelot. I have tried playing it once co-op, like fully co-op, where we knew the trader wasn't there. And it just kind of fell to this, you know, it flopped. It just didn't work. It seemed like you needed that to give you that tension in the game. So I'm impressed that you still enjoyed the game, The Dead of Winter, when you knew nobody was the trader, Since that was the mechanic that they created for the game.
0: Yeah, that's correct. And I think the reason why it kind of works is everyone has a secret goal anyway. And that's independent if there's a traitor or not. So... You're kind of trying to balance doing your secret goal and trying to do the group goal at the same time. But the part of me that makes it difficult as a cooperative game almost doesn't feel cooperative all the time because in order to win, you have to do your your secret goal. And so if you can't do your secret goal at all, what's your motivation to having the group do the group goal or contributing to the, the group efforts uh, for everyone to win when you obviously cannot win? So it's kind of got that weird... I don't know. I'm not saying people would tank the game necessarily, but it doesn't really have that motivation for you to help the group. And I kind of miss that in a normal, fully cooperative game.
1: That's why I think a game like Gloomhaven works well. Because, yeah, you might not get your personal objective of your battle. You know, so you'll have those battle objectives. So for each individual scenario... You have your own personal objective that if you complete, you get some perks, some check marks, and if you get enough check marks, you can upgrade your response deck. Great. I actually really like that because I can have it personal and fail that, but I still have motivation to win the scenario because we want to progress on the story. And, and so I think I think Isaac did it right because, yeah, if, if you're playing a co-op game and you have secret objectives and you literally cannot win if you don't finish that... It just I, I think it makes conflicting... Uh, it, people are going to be wanting to do different things, and you're not going to understand why, and you can't talk about it, so then you'll have people just telling you what it is just because they want to be able to win. Yeah, I, that just doesn't seem like it's perfect. I mean, that's why the game was built with the trader.
0: Agreed. Yep, I agreed. So it was interesting to try it that way, fully cooperative, and i would play it again. Um, it's I really like the crossroads mechanic in the game a ton. That's really fun, but... Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sold on the uh, the secret goals in that game and how that works as a fully cooperative in, in, uh, mechanic.
1: Still cool you're able to play with a group at least once a month and try something new like that. Because I'm, I'm assuming that's probably not something you would have normally picked up and played without having this group.
0: No, no. This is something that they, they wanted to play. So, like, yeah, let's do it. Actually, the other game we played with that group, and not only that group, but I've had, I had some friends uh, from Iowa I haven't seen in a while come visit. And we played this game as well. And that is Captain is Dead. It's from AEG Games. And I I know, uh, Colin, you did a playthrough on your uh, channel of this game. Uh, I don't think he might have liked it as much. But I I don't know. Something about this game. I really like it for what it is and it keeps hitting the table but the fact that it's basically a Star Trek theme in in a box makes it fun for me so
1: That honestly is a great game it's just not one that really connected with me and I I don't know if it's because I wasn't I'm not really into Star Trek please don't hate me <gasps> <laughs> I know hey I'm Star Wars I'm Star Wars all the way Star Wars all the way sorry <laughs> But yeah I mean so I'm not into the theme as much and you know, having your one objective just be to power up the jump core and and then all you do is you flip these cards and every card you flip, it's just like hits you hard, hits you here, hits you there. And you just, I don't know, it just feels like all the game is doing is beating you down. You know, Rado talks a little bit about it and, and I, I agree to some extent. Some co-op games, the way they provide tension is just by literally beating you over the head with a stick on everything you know oh you took one move here well now i'm going to break down this piece and this piece and this piece and so all you're doing is running around and just trying to fix them instead of doing something more productive
0: sure yeah and when it really ramps up into like the red levels so if you're not familiar with the game there's uh three levels alerts uh yellow orange and red and if you look at some of those red levels alerts they are just the utter destruction. There's no way you can survive some of those red levels events. So
1: Yeah, and I don't know why, but even a game comparing this to Ghost Stories, I know a lot of people say Ghost Stories is really brutal. I don't feel like Ghost Stories is nearly as hammering me down as the Captain is dead. For whatever reason. And I don't know I don't know if it's just because of how you flip over those malfunction cards. There's nothing you can do. But with ghost stories, you can put the Buddhas out, and you can kind of mitigate some of the ghosts that are coming out that way. You can push them back with actions. It's with the captain is dead. It's like I flip this over. Oh, now my telecommunications out, and I have to discard all my cards. You know, it just it just kind of felt like all it was doing was beating me down every time.
0: <laughs> That's interesting because uh, we've got some characters can actually mitigate those alerts too. Um you most things you can cancel on the bottom of the card. You need three blue icons, uh that's called command points to do so. And he's even one role in the game that can do it outside of his own turns, which is kind of interesting. Um But yeah, we we will plan around that for some issues if you can see the alerts come up in advance. But That
1: is a good point. I totally forgot about that. I think I must not have played enough. Wasn't he like the the first officer that he could discard two outside of his turn with those command points? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that now. I don't know. I don't know why. I mean you're right. You totally had that. It just for whatever reason it didn't click. Yeah.
0: Nope. Oh, that's fair. And um at Gen Con, I know they're coming out with a new at least I think it's coming out at Gen Con, the new version of it. It's like episode two where you are trapped in a alien prison trying to break out and i I'll be picking that up and I luckily, Colin and I will be going Gen Con together, so hopefully we'll get a chance to play the new version there.
1: Ooh, Alien Prison breaking out. That sounds awesome. Actually, that reminds me of... Did you ever hear of the game Daedalus Sentence?
0: Yes, I have. Is that the one with the uh, rings that rotate?
1: Wow. Steve, I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah. Nobody knows about that game. That game was, you know, it was a Kickstarter. It was the hugest box. It was like a pizza box that came but to your house when you got it. But the thing is, is the board actually spun and moved around. I really liked that. That was fun. So I'm excited to see what they do here with the uh, alien prison. Because there you're trying to break out of an alien prison.
0: Cool. So, yeah, that's what we've been playing. I've been playing recently. Uh, Colin, what have you, what's come up on the channel?
1: Yeah, so right now I'm doing a really fun pirate game called The Pirate Republic. And it's a game that gives you a nice feel of Mage Knight where you've got cards that you're playing that give you certain actions that you do. Uh, the, the difference with The Pirate Republic is you get generic move points, and then when you go and do combat, you'll play your cards purely for combat only. Uh, the advantage of that is that your cards... You're not going to be stuck as much as you are with Mage Knight uh, because you won't have where you'll draw your hand and you have no move cards. You'll always get three movements, plus or minus two or three, somewhere in there. So sometimes you'll get six movements, sometimes you'll get two or even one movement, depending. Uh, But yeah, you're basically just going around this huge map and taking out ships, sinking sinking naval ships, sinking uh, merchant ships, pirate ships and uh sacking land locations forts ports (laughs) anything you can think of gathering reputation tokens gaining your swagger which is your experience yeah it's uh it's a lot of fun and i'm playing a co-op version right now and i actually have to say that is the way to go they they have a solo mode the solo is fine but the solo is just to beat your own score the co-op they give you objective cards and you can hand pick one out. Or you can randomly pick one and you, you try and complete it within three rounds. So right now I just put up round two out of round three on the channel and having a blast. I just took out my first fort. I took out the French fort. So I kind of feel bad for my French friends over there, <laughs> but um, yeah, took one out. I got two to go in the next round. We'll see if we can do it. But yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun.
0: And aren't you giving away a copy of this on the channel?
1: Uh, Steve, thank you. Yes. I'm also giving away a copy, and I'm going to also give away... I've got all the deluxe components. I'll just include them in there and send them out too. So that's that's good until June 18th. So I'll be giving that away on June 19th. So that'll be pretty cool.
0: So if you're interested in that, take a look at his playthrough. I think we've got a video... Um, to describe what you need to do to enter that.
1: Yeah, and not only that, Jplay also has a playthrough of it, and he does the solo mode. So if you were thinking, I just really want to be able to play solo, you can check out Jplay's video of it as well. He does a great job. You know Marcus. He's so funny. He actually rolls the best I've ever seen him roll in that game. I'm so impressed with him. I actually sent him a personal note after that, (laughs) being like, what did you do? What did you do to the luck gods? Did you give them money or something? (laughs) So yeah, it's it's fun. Other than that, the other two games I'm playing right now, one we're going to talk about more, so I'm not going to get into detail with it now, is Renegade. And we're... uh, Later in this conversation, going to be uh, having an interview with Richard Wilkins, aka Ricky Royal, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about designing the game. Uh, you know why he, in the first place, even got uh, to doing YouTube videos and why he decided to design a game. All of that. So we'll talk about that later. And then the third one is Arkham Horror: The Card Game. You guys, I just. I cannot believe it. I swore up and down that I was not going to like that game because I do not like Cthulhu settings at all. And I actually got the game when it first came out, just that core set. I played through all three and I was like, yep, hate it. Send it. No, don't want it. But then Steve over here was like, oh, you should try Lord of the Rings LCG. And I tried it and then ended up either trading or buying every single piece of that game. <laughs> I have everything, which is, I don't know, I mean maybe a thousand cards, maybe more than that. Um, and so I, I realized how much I still love deck building. You know, it brought me back to my Yu-Gi-Oh days, except for I'm doing it cooperatively. And my wife likes it. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Let's do it. And so after getting into the Lord of the Rings, I was like, okay, everyone says Arkham Horror LCG is better. So I got to try it, right? I got to try it again. Now that I understand what these LCGs are really about. Yeah, I tried it and I love it. I really, really love it. Is it better than Lord of the Rings? No. <laughs> but is it good? It's good. And I I did just recently do a top 10 card games. Uh, And I put this one at a number seven. I'm going to tell you now, if if I was doing that now, it would be much higher on the list. <laughs> I don't know where, but I have now played already. Arkham Horror LCG 15 times, and I've played Lord of the Rings only 18 times, so that should just show you. I've been playing it a lot, and I love it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, and in a future episode, uh, we have planned to do a uh, comparison between these two games, so...
1: Yeah, it's going to be a great discussion. I'm really excited. I'm actually going to play the person who thinks Arkham Horror is better, since both Steve and I know, really, it's Lord of the Rings, but... I'll have to play the other side so that spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> Did I say that? Um, no. uh, but we'll have a great conversation. I'll make sure to be that devil's advocate because I I know there's a lot of really good stuff with Arkham I mean, there's a yeah. Oh, I can't wait for that discussion. We were hoping to have that two weeks ago when you know the power decided that it was not going to happen that time. <laughs> so, anyways, that will be coming soon. Other than that, though, Steve, I mean, that's that's the big things that I'm doing. I mean, I am still playing Lord of the Rings. Uh, I'm going to keep playing it probably for the rest of my life. So, <laughs> but yeah, those those are the main ones.
0: With that, uh, let's move over to the news section.
1: One of the games we wanted to talk about a couple weeks ago because the campaign was still live, but we just weren't able to get on and do our pod was 5-Minute Dungeon. They're doing an expansion. Curses foiled again. So, five minute dungeon. It's a five minute game, real time. It's totally my wheelhouse. I love it. My kids love it. My wife loves it. What you're doing is you're delving through a dungeon, which is a set of cards, and these cards just have little symbols on them, and you'll have cards in your hand with those symbols on them. So, let's say there's a sword, there's a a, a shield, there's a runner. So the Cards that you have to go through in the dungeon will have, let's say, a a runner and a sword on it. So as a team, you have to play those symbols so you can move through the dungeon and get to the next door. But since it's all real time and it's only within five minutes, everything's going fast. You're playing cards quickly. Yeah, it's a blast. I have a playthrough of the base game on the channel, but the curses add just a little bit more fun to the game. Now, each of the bosses will get their own custom deck of five boss cards, which is sweet. So now when I'm going against a specific boss, I'll actually have specific cards in there that do certain things. Like, hey, the timer can't be paused, or you can't use your left hand. <laughs> or you can only say the words waffles. So everyone's going, waffle, 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 waffle. It looks like a lot of fun. So um, it adds it adds curses, it adds artifacts that you can play And they'll help you. Maybe they'll remove the curses or it'll allow us to pause the time and everybody can draw three cards or it can defeat a monster and all players draw cards, something like that. So it's pretty cool how they do this. And they also are adding a couple more of the heroes that you can play. Yeah, it's only a five minute game. But every single person I've played with, except for Mike on the other side of the podcast, who actually I didn't play with, but apparently he didn't like this one. He's the only guy I know that hasn't enjoyed this game. Because, honestly, it's a quick, fun experience. And, yeah, you lose, eh, just pick it up and play again.
0: I really want to get this game played. You need to bring this Gen Con so I can try this game out. Oh,
1: yeah, we're going to play it in line. Apparently, my buddy Phil, he, he said that it'll be a great line game. So you get in line, you sit down. You play for five minutes. Oh, the line's moved. You move up. I mean, it's just, oh, it's so fun. And it is so ruckus. And <laughs> when you play it, I dare you to just play it one time because that never happens. <laughs> Whenever I play it, it's like four, five, six. I played it, uh, was it two nights ago? Yeah, I played it like two or three nights ago and it was like 10 times. <laughs> so yeah, it's a great game. That's awesome. So that was 5-Minute Dungeons, Curses Foiled Again.
0: The next game I want to talk about, I had to put it on here. Because Colin's on this podcast, and that is not Dice Squared. It's an expansion to the Celtic Knot game. Do you know about this, Colin?
1: I do know about this. I actually have a playthrough of the original Knot Dice.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you know the expansion's on Kickstarter right now? I did
1: not. This is awesome. Actually, actually that's a lie. I did hear about it, but I didn't realize that it was out already. Whoa, and it's already funded at $24,000. I'm impressed.
0: So I want to make sure I quick mention this because I remember uh, you, you uh, with your background, quite like this this little simple um, uh, puzzle game. So
1: Yeah, this game, it's really fun. So what, what you're doing, well, first of all, it comes with a ton of different games in one bag. So they'll give you these dice, and they're custom, and the dice actually create the Celtic Knot. And so different... Uh, games, you're either trying to work cooperatively together to create different dice knots or different Celtic knots, or you might be working competitively trying to make the largest knot possible. You'll make knots either in a vertical, so you might actually place them on top of one another, or you might make them just on sitting on the table and you'll be looking straight down at the dice and you'll see the knot itself. Oh, this is cool. And the dice that they are you're um, going to be using now are going to be called squared knot dice. So they've got these rounded edges. They look beautiful.
0: Yeah, it's a really gorgeous game when you start assembling all those knots. They
1: even have a real-time competitive. I'm trying to see if they have a real-time cooperative. I don't see one. Bummer. But they do have turn-based storytelling ones as well, which are, that's really cool to me. You can even tell a story while you're building knots. And it's just really relaxing. And I do have to say, it is Irish. So how can you not like this? So that is not Dice Squared, and that is live on Kickstarter until June 21st. The next one that I want to talk about, Steve, is something that I am so excited for, and I'm really hoping they might have a Gen Con. Fingers crossed. (laughs) And that is Heroes of Terranoth, and this is going to be published by Fantasy Flight Games. And in in case you guys can't tell right now, I've become a Fantasy Flight fanboy. If I've bought all the things for Lord of the Rings and Arkham Horror, yeah, I'm totally buying it on Fantasy Flight. (laughs) Um, But this game is actually a rebranding of Warhammer Adventure Card Game. So, as many of you probably know, we had a Warhammer Adventure Card Game by the Sadler Brothers. And I don't know about you guys, but I loved that game. It was great. But then Fantasy Flight lost the license to Warhammer. So they couldn't come out with any other expansions, even though the game was just ripe with with being able to have tons of great expansions, tons of stories. Yeah, it it was such a bummer, right? Well, now they just announced this Heroes of Terranoth, so it's going to be in the Terranoth universe, but it's going to use a lot of the same mechanics where you've got cards that are out on the table, you'll tap them to use them, and you'll roll dice for your activation of either Attacking or defending or healing. So yeah, it looks pretty sweet.
0: Yeah, so this game does look really cool. I did play the Warhammer version of it, and i I also enjoy that game quite a bit. This looks like it might be a little bit different. Uh, One thing that kind of caught my eye was that there's supposed to be twelve heroes in this version of it. There's only four archetypes they call them: so healer, warrior, mage, and scout. But of those, there are 12 different heroes you can pick from. So I'm curious how that works out, and uh, I will definitely be looking for those. I I will be surprised if we don't see this and at least a demo-able copy at Gen Con. So hopefully, uh, if it's there, uh, Colin and I will try it out and report back uh, what our thoughts are.
1: Yeah, and what's really nice is I live in Minnesota, and so Fantasy Flight is based out of here. And a lot of times – and this actually happened with me with Legacy of Dragonhold – before – it actually goes live everywhere else. They'll have copies here in Minnesota. So I'm hoping that I might be able to get an early copy from from Fantasy Flight and play this. And then let you guys know what I think. I mean, it looks it looks awesome. And the amount of enjoyment I had with Warhammer Adventure Card Game, I don't see this one uh, flopping at all. And I think the Sandler's are fantastic designers. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited for
0: this. I will admit, I do get a feeling of the LCGs, at least the cooperative LCGs in this model a little bit with how the uh, locations work, and I don't know. I just Get that feeling a little bit.
1: Oh, yeah. Actually, a lot of people are even asking, Oh, do I have to get two copies of the base game? Because they're thinking of it as an LCG, and it's not, but there's a lot of those same mechanics. But I, what I like about this one better than the LCGs, and not better, but what's nice that it's different, is instead of having a deck that you have to make, you have your preset of four actions that you can take. And then as you use them, you can't retake them until you do something, do your refresh action. And I I really like that because it, it allows people to jump into this game a lot uh, quicker. You think of Lord of the Rings um, LCG, that is such a hard entry point at this point because there's so much content and people just get overwhelmed. They don't know where to start, and you tell somebody, "Hey, just start with a small card base," and they don't want to, right? Because they want to build the best deck, and but then that means they've got to buy all this stuff. Yeah, with this, what's so nice is you can just jump right in. You can have someone who's not even into gaming as much. They can still enjoy this game. So I like that.
0: And that is Heroes of Tiranoth. The next game I'll mention, I'm going to blame Colin for getting me addicted to it or getting me uh, addicted to wanting to back this one. And that is Black Sonata. (laughs) Yes. So I know, Colin, you just recently did a a playthrough of this on your channel. And I've been, ever since I've played a few of those hidden movement games, um, I've, I really do enjoy them. They're all, all pretty fun in their own different ways. But being a cooperative fan, I've always wanted a cooperative hidden movement game. And I'm like, well, that's I don't know if that's even possible. It's hard to do. Well, I guess that's kind of this Black Sonata game kind of proved that point. Um, he did, they did manage to make a uh, cooperative. Well, actually, it's listed as solo, but you can actually play, um, play as a small group if you want. And having the AI secretly move around the board, trying to discover who this—I believe it's called like the uh, the the Dark Lady, the Dark Lady—trying to discover her.
1: Let me just say this, Steve. So, I really enjoyed the game solo, but I've love playing games with my wife, and she really liked this one. And my favorite experiences playing this game has actually been with my wife, not playing it solo. And I think that's because she is way more of a logical individual than I am. (laughs) So she's a lot better at tracking where the Dark Lady could be. Uh, You'll see in my playthrough, I'm terrible at it. So, (laughs) But uh, if you watch the playthrough, you can understand how the game works. And what's really fun about it is every time you gain more information... About the dark lady it becomes harder and harder to track her because every time you find her then you have to move through your clue deck or not it's not a clue deck it's your stealth deck you have to move through the stealth deck by more cards however many clues you have and that means she could have moved a lot more on the actual map and so then you're trying to chase her around and find her yeah, it's, it's really enjoyable. And what's so enjoyable about it is that it's so quick, too. I mean, it says 30 minutes. It literally only takes you 30 minutes. So it's a great game to take on a travel. So if you're going somewhere... So I'm going to be going to Alaska in a month. We're going on a cruise. Yeah, if I had this, that would be coming for sure. Because you could do this on a plane. You could do this in a hotel. You could do this in the cab. No, I'm kidding. Probably not the cab. But... <laughs> um, Any of the other places, so easy to fit in your bag. I love that.
0: And this is already funded on Kickstarter. In fact, they kind of blew through the stretch goals pretty quickly. So they're trying to figure out what they can do to uh, add some more stretch goals to it. But the nice thing about it, it's only a $24 commitment to get the the game.
1: Yeah, and I know that they're trying not to do stretch goals of adding more content because what they don't want to do is add something that isn't going to work, right? So they're looking at ways of improving the quality.
0: And so, one thing that I think is worth mentioning with this game is, well, how does a hidden movement work when it's controlled by the AI? And basically, what it is is there's there's some paths which you program with this deck, and you don't really know where the starting point is, as it, the path kind of loops on itself. Uh, so that's what gives you the the replayability, I guess. Uh, but there's eight different paths, and like, can you can you memorize the paths? Can you memorize the the traits of this uh, dark lady you're trying to discover? And the designer himself has been on BGG's entries quite a few times, and he's played it a ton, of course, and he hasn't had these things memorized, and even if he does, I guess he said, he's mentioned someplace, I can't remember where he mentioned, but he has an algorithm um, created where he can generate new paths if we, there's uh, possibilities for more expansion content in the future on that. So I'm kind of pathetic, Steve, and I actually went and
1: tracked the movements on a couple of the different paths just to see, you know, to see how he did it, and yeah, it is It is phenomenal. And what's really cool, too, is on the back of the rulebook, he'll also give you harder paths. So there are some paths where she might move more than one spot or she might not move at all. And you don't know when that's happening and when that's not. And so it makes it a little bit more difficult to find her. So he also has ways of varying the difficulty.
0: So that is Black Sonata. The next game I'll mention is on Kickstarter right now, and that's Assembly. It's a compact solo or cooperative puzzle game. So this one has a a sci-fi theme. It sounds pretty cool, actually. So uh, what happened is there's a deadly virus that's broken out on this spaceship you're on, and this computer has some failsafes that when it detects this virus, it's just, it wants to vent all the oxygen and trying to quarantine the ship. But the problem is it's also venting oxygen that you need to live, and basically you need to escape this spaceship before this crazy computer takes everyone out. So that's the premise of it, and it looks pretty. Looks like a pretty cool game.
1: If you guys are interested in seeing what it's like, Rano did one of his run-throughs of it, or I think that's how he calls them now. It's not very long. It's only eight minutes long. I can just kind of show you the game. You can see if you're interested.
0: And that's Assembly, a compact solo or cooperative puzzle game. So that will wrap up our news, and now we'll move over to talk to our special guest, Richard Wilkins, about his game, Renegade.
1: Well, cool. Well, you know what? Why don't we just jump in? So, I think one of our first questions for you, Ricky, would be: What was it that got you into the board gaming hobby? What What was it that you know pushed you into? Oh my gosh, I want to play board games. Well, what was it?
2: Oh golly, I don't know. I've always played board games since I was um, a little kiddie. So, um, yeah, I guess um, you you remember the, the 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 good times from when you were a kid, and you hold on to them, and then uh you grow up and you you leave those childish things behind, but then at some point it um it feels like the right time to come back to it. And uh I guess uh, I didn't play games for a long time um I guess twenty twelve when I was doing the YouTube thing. I think when I started that and that's when I'd started I discovered hobby games. Um I was a chess player as a boy, but um yeah I discovered the the hobby games watching Uh, some YouTube channels and you know, the internet has delivered this whole new world to us. And I think that has contributed massively to the, the recent um, popularity, increasing popularity of, of hobby board games is the internet. And that's kind of opened it up to us, opened up the world of this, all these different types of games and, you know, the the hundreds of different games that you can now buy online. Um, And, you know, suddenly that suddenly everyone's a designer as well. People like myself want to design games and yeah, it's, I think that opened up the whole world. Um, and yeah, but it, it board gaming satisfies, a, an, a you know, one of those needs I have, which is to, to kind of, you know, challenge myself with puzzles and, and, uh, be entertained with a good story and, and I'm a I'm a very tactile person. I love the the you know all the, the all the components of of picking up pieces of uh, when I was when I was I said, we're talking back to when I was a boy. My my father used to take me uh fishing, and we used to go fishing on the canal. And I would I would be more fascinated by uh, by all the bits, all the floats, and the leads, and the hooks, <laughs> and you know all the little bits in their little boxes. And <laughs> I would sit for hours playing with those, and not not worry if I didn't have to catch a fish. So um all those little little elements.
1: I was going to say, those things make great um, component
2: holders too, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was like it was showing you what
1: your future was going to be.
2: So yeah, oh, That's I, awesome. So, yeah, I love messing with the pieces and setting you up You know, I quite happily just sit and set a game up and just, you know, play around with it and and, and intrigued that looking under the bonnet of games is something I like to do and, and that kind of led to designing myself is, you know, just just seeing how the machinery of a game works is so fascinating. Um you know uh, I'd take things apart as a kid you know real machines but now I'm I'm taking apart game designs instead and yeah it's good fun right it's good fun so
1: yeah. i'm i'm just curious do you remember what your first video was on box delights
2: What i recorded yeah yeah do you remember what your first video was yeah, yeah, which I game think, you did yeah i think it was um uh it was one of the dungeons and dragons board games um it would have been oh. Uh, legend of drist i think it was dreadful legend of drist, okay. <laughs> it was. Dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because it, you kind of it, it was just something i did for the fuck because i was watching guys do i was watching black belt gaming for, uh uh too and he 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 was great and he did yeah, i think he still does videos he does lots of dungeons and dragons stuff i was watching that and it was kind of emulating what i'd seen and then wanting to develop develop my own style and actually I've I really enjoyed um the whole process of making a film so that kind of was more interesting at the beginning than than I think the games I was filming um and developing my own style of of creating a film was became the hobby itself um yeah and then the, the you know the, the 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 love of the two grew together really so yeah no, I was saying that was yeah. Looking back now, if I if uh, yeah, it was probably a dreadful film, <laughs> but you know it's it's, <laughs> it's good because it's the seed that, that grew. So there you go.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask. Uh, so was it the the interest in doing um, filming that brought you into doing a YouTube channel, or was the passion board game or combination both? Or what what kick your need or your desire to create the
2: Boxed Delight YouTube channel? Yeah, it was. I think I think looking back now, I think it was wanting to do. Yeah, I've, if I didn't do, I work in IT. If I didn't work in IT, I'd want to work in film and I wanted to be like maybe a film editor or, um, or a cameraman or something behind the camera. So yeah, it was that that started it. And then I wanted a subject matter and that seemed like a, you know, I was, I was at home at the time and it seemed like a a great subject. Um, and I'd always been interested in games, um, as a, like I said, as a child. And, and, the two just seemed to come together nicely, and yeah, it, it, they grew together. So yeah, initially I think it was the desire to want to make a film more than anything that started the YouTube channel. Oh, and the, I was going to say, and then I think as as the as the audience grew and suddenly realised people were watching, it then became, um, oh wow, you know maybe I can make something that uh, that, that people are interested in seeing. Um, you know, and it's it's kind of funny. I mean, you know this, Colin, as well from doing the YouTube thing. Is you know, as the years go on, suddenly people are listening, and suddenly you and people are asking questions, and suddenly you realise you can you can actually start helping people as well. So it um, it was kind of nice to be able to be um, kind of a bannerman for for the UK gaming scene a little bit as well. Um, and try and show UK games and talk to UK gamers and game designers, um, and, the, and a lot of independence as well. And it's suddenly, you know, suddenly this, this desire to want to make a film takes you off in all sorts of different directions you never really expected. Um, you know, to to sitting here with you now chatting about, you know, designs and so on as well that we'll, that we'll do is, yeah, it's it's, an, it's been a fascinating journey for sure. So Ricky when you
1: say games I'm just curious because a lot of pe- I-, I get this question a lot is why not video games why board games you know because if you think about the ease of entry a-, a video game you don't have to read instructions and a video game you don't have to set up and it just you just sit down and you can play it yet I'll pick a board game to play a a lot of times over a video game because I enjoy the whole process of doing it. But I'm just curious for you, why is it that you enjoy a
2: board game over something like a video game? Right. Well, there, there's, certainly, there's certainly similarities um, in the two media, but um, yeah, definitely it's about the, the, the thing about board games. And I think, I guess I, I said already, it's having pieces that you can touch because, you know, I like that tactile thing. And also being able to, if I was playing, if I'm playing a video game, I don't play video games now, but if I'd want to know how it works, I'd want to be able to, and I can't see how a video game works. So a lot of, you know, a lot of the enjoyment I get out of a board game is, is watching the the machinations of the rules uh, unfold and and work their magic on the board. And I can see that, you know, I'm fascinated by things like, um, um automaton, you know, that they used to make in Victorian times or or, or modern times even with, with wood and cogs and you know, and you can open the box and see something working. I feel like that with board games, it's it's being able to see those cogs turning um and and they're very simple. I mean you compare the you know the computing power that drives a video game is exponentially mass you know huge compared to what what drives a board game. But yeah. And, and you see, and you mentioned reading rule books. Reading rule books is a pleasure to me. It's not, you know, the, that's part of the, the enjoyment is learning how to play it and, and being in, enchanted by clever mechanisms. That's what board gaming's about for me or solo board gaming. And obviously with, uh, with going to game group and sharing the experience with other people is not something that I've ever experienced with a video game. Uh, And being able to talk about the experience you've had afterwards and, oh, do you remember when you did this and you did that? And, and feeling like, you know, the story has been told. Um, so yeah, it's a very different media. So to people who are video gamers who've not tried board gaming, don't understand what the attraction is just sit down and play and, and you'll find out
1: you know, you're going to make steve happy with your uh you love reading rule books cuz that's what he does he'll he, right. he won't even play a
2: game he'll just sit down and read a rule book <laughs> i just i can't believe it <laughs> it's true uh, so steve, i'm impressed ha- so steve how many times have you have you sat down and and set up a game and and not actually played it because you just read it and enjoy and, and and set it up and was that is that ever enough sometimes oh. you-
0: Sometimes. Um, most of the time, when I buy a new game, I have read the rule book at least once, if not a couple of times before I buy it. And when I buy it, I read the rule book again, maybe another two, three times. And then I'll set it up and maybe I'll run through a few uh, scenarios, just make sure I understand some of the concepts just by myself. And then I... So I've read the root book normally like, I don't know, three or four times at least before actually playing a game. And I need to do that, especially with my wife, because... Um she wants she wants me to be concise and to the point, just get get the game moving right away. Right. So that helps helps me understand what rules I really need to explain to her, what can I explain to her later. So but yeah, I I don't know what it is about it, but I, I find I, I agree with you. I find reading the rule book kinda opens the door, gives us a a glimpse underneath the bonnet as um to see how these games work and I find that pretty fascinating. It's fun to see how different Games approach different mechanics uh, to achieve the similar goals too.
2: Right, right. And as people who um, commentate on board game design, we're always looking for that, I guess. In a in a new game is give me something I've not seen before, Um, and and when you get it, it's such a delight to to see. Um, Because I guess now uh, you know, particularly nowadays, I think we see a lot of games that are that come along and they're full of. Chrome, but there's not much under the bonnet. Um, I like, I like it when you get those, and and it doesn't have to be complex even, just something simple that's, that feels new and it's like, ah, I've not seen that before. So Steve, are you the guy that, are you the guy that always teaches the rules when you, when you're, when you're taking games to new, new groups? Is that how it works? Yes. um, Most of the time, yes. Yeah. And there's quite a knack to that too. I mean, I, I I must admit, I mean, I like reading a rule book, but when I have, when I'm sitting down and learning a game, someone's trying to teach me for, and I have to listen for an hour. I'm not, I, that's not fun. <laughs> I must admit, I don't always like that, but um if it's me alone with a book, I'm quite happy. Um But yeah, I, but learning to play as you play is kind of cool. I'm quite happy to, to just sit and um just, you know, turn the, turn the wheels and push a few buttons and see what happens with rules. And, and I'm not that bothered if I get rules wrong as well. It doesn't matter too much, um, right? Uh, yeah, there you go.
0: Yeah, oh. I actually like the co-op aspect of um, explaining rules because most of the time, uh, because it's cooperative, there's you can I find it easier to explain rules in game or later on. Uh, then try to explain everything up front because I agree. If you're sitting down there for like an, an hour, or half an hour, or whatever, before you can really dive in, it really, really takes the steam out of playing a game.
2: Yeah. It's like when, um, when I, with designing Renegade it's a complex game I think it's maybe medium complex it's not a gateway game by any means it's a gamers game it's it's assumes that people are familiar with playing games so it's it's interesting because I've designed the game and a lot of my family who don't play games are like oh we'll we'll have to get a copy we'll have to play your game and I'm like no please don't because (laughs) you're going to think it's terrible Um, I don't want to be too condescending and say oh you really wouldn't understand it but it's just like I know that it's not going to be a great experience for people who because there's lots of familiar concepts in the game you know as experienced gamers you know what deck building is you know what area control is and you know how to you know even simple things like having a hand limit and things like that that we kind of take for granted after many years of playing games but people who who only played you know Clued, cluedo monopoly won't necessarily know all these concepts so um what i what i what I did do, and what I was conscious of doing, and this is a, um, something that I learned from games like Mage Knight, is is, to, is introduce a walkthrough. So I I did that because it means that you can kind of dive straight in and and just learn as you play. So um, we were very keen to try and to do that because of it being a complex game. Of saying, well, let's just introduce things slowly. Let's get set up. Let's just go and let's let's learn to play it as we play. Um, so, uh, if so, but it's so t- tough. I think probably right. Getting the rule book right is, is the hardest thing. Um, and you, I always think oh, I'm great at reading rules and I'll be fine with it. But what I've, what I find is that I can kind of, I, I, I'm quite happy to struggle with a badly written rule book and I'll get there. It's not a problem. Um, but that kind of makes it harder for me to write a rule book because I'm not necessarily recognizing what other people recognize as good. So um it so you really need um uh, I, it's great to bring the experience that Victory Point Games brought to it because they've they've got a whole team of people who know this stuff but um yeah reading rule books and writing them are two different skills for sure <laughs> yeah. so
0: you've we've mentioned the game Renegade a few times on here but I'm not sure if all our listeners are familiar with the game would you mind explaining this game you designed
2: yeah sure so uh this is a um It's hard to put it in a box because it's so many things, but there's, um, there's lots of make it, it, it's hopefully it's more than the sum of its parts. So it's got a, a, a lot of deck building in there, but it's not a deck building game. It's got a lot of area control, but it's not an area control game. Um, it's, it's a Euro, but there's lots of theme there too. So basically it's a, it's a game where you are, you are taking on the role of hackers and you're hacking into a network of servers. Um, and to do so, you're using, cards from your hand, which represent commands, they're computer commands that act out on the board. And the board is um, this modular board of of interconnecting what I call servers that make up a network that you're hacking into. And you have um, an avatar that you place, that's your, your player mark or your pawn, if you like, or that you place and, and that's where you are kind of physically in the network um, and the commands that you perform allow you to move around this network, uh, leaving a trail of contaminants behind. You're kind of playing the bad guys in this scenario. Um, um, And um, it's all about creating uh, patterns of um, influence on the board using a hand that you'll develop over the course of the game using a deck building mechanic so it's it was very much trying to marry those two ideas of having a game that is a positional game um but also having this deck building game that layers on top um which when I did first designed it back in 2012 was kind of felt like very very fresh but 2018 we've seen lots of games that come along and, and have done that subsequently but I still think Renegade feels fresh because it does things in in different ways um yeah, that's the that's the high level view of what Renegade is is all about.
0: Why did you decide to design the board game? What was your motivation for that?
2: Why did I? Um, well, I think that that's a great question. That's a great question. Why would I, why would you just go and design a game? Um, a number of reasons. I think um, one reason is. I guess the vanity of having my name on a box would is, is, a, uh, is And <laughs> yeah. um, I won't deny that's one of the reasons. Um, and I think also because, um, creating something is always, um, so rewarding. Um, in, in also, I, I, am I'm, so, I'm a, I'm a serial hobbyist. I'll like, I'll, I'll pick up a hobby and it'll be my passion for a while and then I'll, pick up another one and whichever, whichever hobby I'll do. I want to be, I want to, you know, I want to throw myself into it as deeply as I can. So with board gaming, it was never going to be enough for me to just play. I want to create my own games, but I always did. When I, I talked to you about how I played board games as a child, and for me it was about it was a special time of when the family would come together, my mum my my dad and my sister and we would all come together and, and, and sit around a table. And when we all went away I'd I'd be there with my pens and paper making my own games. Um, you know, and it would of course be, you know, roll of five miss a turn type games, but you know, I've all, <laughs> always had that creativity of wanting to make my own my own games. Uh, and if, I've, if, if in playing our own games at home, I'd want to change them and, and make them, it would be better if it did this and wouldn't it be cool if it did that. So, um, as, uh, as an adult and building this audience with Box of Delights and suddenly being thrown into, into contact with other designers and publishers, it, it kind of presented an opportunity to say, hey, you know what, I could actually do this, um, if I wanted to, um, so yeah, it was all about just was trying to, to 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 kind of immerse myself in this industry, really, for sure. And I don't think that as a commentator on board games, it, I think if you're if you've made your own design and and watched it get produced, it would it gives you such a an enormous amount of insight.
1: So Ricky, a question for you. I, I- you know, for somebody that is potentially looking to design a board game, let's say, what would you say were some of the notable challenges that you had when you were designing Renegade? And what did you do to solve those
2: problems, those design problems? Oh, wow. What a question. Um, <laughs> just just guess, making it easy. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, anyone can design a game. And this has probably been said many times. Anyone can design a game, but it's like anyone can write a song. Anyone can write a book or it's, it's the hardest thing is finding something that's that's the hook that that makes it attractive and makes it stand above the rest and that's the biggest challenge is saying is getting people to notice um uh, publishers to notice maybe it's less of a problem now because you know we have um vehicles like kickstarter that enables people to avoid having to go to publishers but even there you're in a crowd and you have to stand above and and get noticed that's the hardest thing um so i feel fortunate in that uh, i had the advantage of many years of building con- connections through box of delights through the youtube channel which kind of kind of gave me an unfair <laughs> advantage or a little leg <laughs> up maybe um I don't know it's yeah it was a foot in the door but I guess that was the biggest challenge um was trying to make your game stand above other games and be and make itself self worthy of being published totally what did did you find trying to decide about
1: a theme for your game what is is a challenge as well i don't know i always I always have ideas for games, but then trying to figure out a way to fit cool mechanics, because I think one of the things that I love about Renegade is just all the different awesome mechanics that you've put together into one game, and then to be able to move that to a a theme where it actually fits, right? So I was just curious for, for Renegade, did you find that theme first, or did you find the mechanics and then marry
2: it to the theme later? well n- neither really um the 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 truth is that i gameplay is everything it has to be a solid gameplay idea so in that respect the the mechanism uh came first but things evolve so originally and i've said this before the game started out the it looks very different to a, to it does now, but it's still the same game. But the theme at the time was Anglo-Saxon Britain. Um, And, you know, all the contaminants and things that were invading a server were, you know, people was invading a a land. Um, But what happens through design is it's not – a a game design evolves. I mean, it did did for me, and and obviously I'm working on other designs too, but uh, maybe it doesn't for – you know, maybe for – it so he can develop a game idea and it's straight there uh, but for me it took m- many m- months if not years to evolve into what it became so the you start with a for me it started with this notion of having what are contaminants and installations now i what I wanted I had the idea of i wanted I wanted things that inhabited a, a map um and those things brought inherent abilities with them so it wasn't a case of you know like all the games i played were um you know cards in your hand did stuff um but what i wanted was the pieces on the board to do stuff like kind of what you see in war games right different units have different abilities um but i wanted those things to evolve as well so that they kind of interacted with each other um so i had things like you know farmers were farmers until they interacted with a missionary and then they became, um, you know, farmers turned into missionaries. Um, and then this, so all the mechanisms of that game were there and I presented those to Victory Point Games and then Victory Point Games said, we really love the way the game plays, but we were not so enamored with the theme. It doesn't feel very original. And they gave me a, um, a, a list of other things and said, well, why don't you try using one of these things with the same kind of game engine, um, I can't remember what they all were now, but we ended up with with this cyberpunk theme. And of course, what happens then is that you you can't just splat that on top and expect it to work, because as the game develops, what it does is you you have to you have to kind of tear away all that kind of the, all the, all the superficial mechanisms that fitted with the theme, leaving you with this underlying engine that that kind of is the. Kind of the, the hook, if you like. That's the real important part. That the rest of it can all be thrown away and redone. So you end up with this important idea, which is, I want units on a map that do stuff and evolve. Um, and, you know, the, the cards that present ability, you know, you play cards that help you enact that on the board. Um, so that's all that kind of remained. Um, and then the cyberpunk theme comes in and then it becomes a development process of saying, you know, I want, I want to give a feeling. You want to give a feeling to the players. So, and that was really, that was one of the most intriguing parts is, is trying to develop that feeling because when you think about, um, say a king or a queen, an emperor of a country, this very large scale game versus this very, um, small scale insular thing where you're, you know, you're, you're, um, you're bent over a keyboard and you're very focused on, this very small space in front of you trying to bring that feeling to a game so that players actually felt that they were, you know, tapping at keys and inserting small computer programs on a network. So that was where new mechanisms came or mechanisms changed to fit the theme. So it really does become um, this, uh, you know, This kind of helix of the two things kind of working together and evolving together um, around each other to come up with something, and that's why I think mechanisms and theme both create the game, not one or the other. That was a very long answer to a short question. (laughs) I do apologize. No, but it's a great. Yeah,
0: seriously. So I guess with that said, uh, you had some ideas, some design goals of what you wanted this game to do, um, but. From a broader perspective, this game is a cooperative game. Did you always want it to be cooperative or was it competitive before or was that as part of your design goal as well?
2: Um, Yeah, that's an interesting question too because originally I wanted it to be a solitaire game. That was one objective. Um, So I knew when I developed it, it was going to be – it was always going to be a solo game. Um, And it was easier to – and I wanted it to scale up to multiplayer as well and it's easier to scale up a solo game into a co-op than it is to scale up a solo game into a um, a competitive game so it, yes it did um, it did it did scale up into a co-op and obviously that scaling up also presented lots of different challenges um, and the other thing is and I think one of the criticisms that might be levied is that it, lots of co-op games is that different player counts make it Easier or harder, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think with us um a solo game, I think a solo game is would t- would tend to be played a lot more often than a than a co-op with many people because it just gets to the table more often. Um and one of the challenges for a solo game is to make it challenging. One of the, as, as a soloist myself who likes to play solo games, if, if I, if I win the first few times and then I find there's no challenge and I don't see a challenge developing, um, I might quickly lose interest. Whereas if I'm playing that same game cooperatively, it doesn't matter so much about the winning or losing because it's all also about that social engagement over the table with other people. Um, so a solo game, developing a, so, and designing a solo game is, is very different skill to, a multiplayer game because it you have to give a different kind of experience i think so that was quite a challenge taking what i was initially a solo game and then scaling it up into a co-op um, and trying to kind of make it a little easier as it scaled up at the same time um, because i think people want to win a game if you're playing in a group uh, of a co-op the first time you play it i think it helps if you win and then you think, great, then you get that buzz. If you, if you get thrashed on your first game, you think, <laughs> oh, that was a load of, you know, I don't want to play that again. I Why'd leave? I waste my time? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for a soloist to lose the first game, I think is fine. But as it goes, I mean, what I did with Renegade was create a, 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 a scale of, of the opponent, the computer that you're facing off against. Um, the, the grandmother of the, those is, is, I, I I dubbed them SMC super massive computers is is called Mother, and she's like the you know the the ultimate boss if you like, but she has a few less capable um, minions who you face in, the, in your early stages of the game. So you start off playing against Alpha Moby and then Spider and Viking, um, you know those two Alpha Moby and Spider they, they don't, they present a small challenge, but you should be able to win. So even for the soloist, then I did say, go on, I've handed you a few wins before you get going, but the real (laughs) challenge is then Viking and mother. And, and then we had uh, another, uh, one of our booster packs brought, um, a new uh, opponent to face called, uh, Logie. And I've, I've just developed another one in, um, booster pack three, which I'm not sure when we'll release that, but it'll be going into play testing soon. So, um, yeah, there's going to be new enemies to face, and they're of, of scaling difficulty. Um, but yeah, I think that was – did I answer your question? I think I did. <laughs> Jeez. Don't worry. You totally did. That was awesome.
0: So I'm excited to hear that there's uh, more content coming out from this game. Uh, do you? How far do you tend to take this game? Do you have like an end goal in mind, or are you willing to just keep creating SMCs and other uh, uh, counter countermeasures as there's de- as there seems to be uh, fans for the game.
2: Right, right. Well, the end the 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 end get goal was the base game that got delivered. Uh, that was the goal <laughs> uh, and. You know, if, if, if a game, we didn't expect, I didn't expect it to be Kickstarter, but it did end up getting Kickstarted. Um, I took it to Victory Point Games and they never used, um, Kickstarter. They did a, they did all their games in house. They printed in house. And then they, um, relatively recently moved to the Kickstarter model and they, they, you've seen them produce, um, um, uh, you know, Nemo's War was the last big one they did, um, uh, darkest night went that way, dawn of the yeah. Zeds. Yeah. Um, and they've, they've now, you know, packed up all of their in-house printing and the, the you know, the, the machines they were renting have now gone back and all of their stuff is now produced in, in China in a factory and, and has that high quality, uh, production that you see. Um, so what happened, obviously, with the Kickstarter campaign is people want stretch goals. And as more and more funding came, we funded in less than two hours, which was just crazy. I never expected that to happen. And I think a big thank you to all the folks who followed Box of Delights was probably a big part of it. Um, but of course, then they're immediately there They're saying, give us more material. And I had lots of material. It was all there on the cutting room floor, because one of the, you know, the economies of that you need to strive for, try and deliver when you take a game to a publisher is they'll say, well, we love your game, but there's too much stuff. Cut it back. So we had to streamline loads of stuff. And then, um you know, so there was lots of stuff already there developed and ready to go. So we we added a couple of booster packs, which were supposed to come out after the Kickstarter, but they ended up getting wrapped up in the Kickstarter because it kind of took off, off a little quicker than we thought. And yeah, for, I think for as long as um, people are wanting to play the game and victory point games are happy to continue to, um, make a profit from it. Then I'm sure they'll keep knocking on my door and saying, give us more stuff, Ricky. Um, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm quite happy to It's at the moment. It's, um, I do, I do obviously want to do other things. Um, but I'm still, um, bathing in the, the buzz of, um, of the Renegade Kickstarter and happy to produce some more material. So yeah.
0: So I got another question for you then. Uh, So how would you compare designing a base game or a game from the ground up versus designing extra content or additional content like expansions to a game? How would you compare and contrast those experiences?
2: Right. You kind of have to rein yourself in a little bit doing expansions because the designer in you wants to do something new, um, whereas the, the, the people buying the game and playing the game just want more stuff Right, they want just give me more of this, give me more SMCs, give me more opponents to face, give me more cards that get let me do stuff and you know uh, that I can upgrade my deck with. So they want more stuff. Um, and the designer in you wants to do something new, so you have to, um, you kind of have to rein that in a bit. Um, but no, I think, I think at the moment I've got so many ideas for what I can do to just deliver more stuff. It's, it's not too difficult, um, to, to deliver more stuff um uh, it's It's one of those games that invites um expansions very easily, so um yeah, I think for as long as we can keep there's got to come a point though where everything just feels the same if we keep doing more and more of the same stuff, so we do have some ideas that say, well, how you know i've got ideas of just trying to flip it on his head i'd love to do another game i've started work i'll give you a scoop on this one if you like. I might have meant dropped the odd little nugget here on Twitter now and then, but I'm working on another game where we flip, flip it on its head a little bit and it's set in the same world. Um, it's called console. Cowboy is the working title. Um, but in this, instead of playing the hackers, you're place, you're, you're playing the, the other side. You're trying to, def, you know, uh, defeat the hackers. You're trying to uh, put up resistance to the hackers. And it's more of a competitive game as well. Um, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, so as a designer, you're always, you've always got new new ideas and it's always exciting to try and d- to develop something new. Um, but obviously for expansion material, you've got to re- you've yeah, you've just got to rein that in.
1: So did you say that was, it was, it's going to be called just so I get Cowboy Council or Council Cowboy?
2: Console Cowboy. It's one Council of the names. Console Cowboy. The, yeah, awesome. it's one of the names of the cards in Renegade. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, I thought the, that was one of them. <laughs> yeah, one of the, one okay. Of the, one of the purple ones.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. One of the awesome ones that I yeah. love. Yes. Yeah, yes. Have
2: that in your hand in no time. Yeah. I was talking about Console Cowboy, which is one of the purple cards in um, Renegade, um, where, where I kind of flip the game on its head a little bit. And you play the, you play the, in Renegade, you play the bad guys. In Console Cowboy, you play the good guys. And it's kind of got this, um this idea of having a dashboard um, a dashboard of components um and it's it's kind of got a deck building element to it too um so it's it's kind of i want it to feel like the same same kind of game but give a comp- completely different um gameplay feel because what's fascinating is obviously i i um i built this game in 2012 and as the years went by it was i saw lots of games c- come and go that were like oh my god that was You've just stolen Renegade's idea, you know. And I thought I was going to deliver <laughs> something new. And every year that went by, and and victory points are going. Yeah, we'll we'll do it this summer, and oh no, we'll do it this fall, and oh, we'll do it next spring. And and it was like, no, another game's come out that does something like mine. And it was, just <laughs> um, so. But now I've got, um, you know, one game that's come out relatively recently that has a lot of the same feel of Renegade's Spirit Island, and um, you know, and maybe I'm. I mean, that game's wonderful. So, um, but, uh, you know, those kind of ideas. But one thing I can do with console cowboy is hopefully, um, I mean, it may come to nothing. Here's the thing, here's the thing. As a a designer, one thing I've learned is you you have to, you you have to design, you know, 99 crap games before you get one good one. Um, So it may, (laughs) it may come to nothing, but that's what I'm working on at the moment, um, as well as expansion material. But the, the benefit now, obviously, is if I, if I, I'm hoping, you know, the last Renegade took like six years from submission to publication that if I do another one, it might be a little bit quicker, um, based on hopefully the success of Renegade. Um, so that is, it is hard for new designers to break into the business. Um, because if you're, a, I mean, and it makes commercial sense. If you're a publisher and you've got a well-known name giving you a game and some, no, so, so nobody. You're going to put your your well-known person out first, right? So that makes a lot of sense. So I think it's um, it's hard work to kind of get that that momentum going. But once you do get a few games under your belt, I think it become it must become easier. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. So How I
1: got to ask. I got to ask Ricky for these two games since they're in the same world. And you're gonna be kind of playing maybe the other side, would they be cross-compatible potentially?
2: Uh no, I don't think so. I ah, don't think okay. so. Okay.
1: No. I totally get that. That'd been so crazy cool if it could have, <laughs> but I I get it. Yeah. And that would be hard to design. I was just curious.
2: I mean that's one other thing from designing games, you you get kind of fed up with it after a while. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. So um, and you want to do something new. Um but if you if you're getting fed up with something, then you can't bring the magic. So one thing about Kickstarter is it you know, before the start, the launch of the Kickstarter, I was fed up with Renegade. I couldn't stand the sight of that <laughs> game. But afterwards, <laughs> it was kind of like, it gives you a burst of, you know, you kind of, 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 off the back of everybody else's excitement, I guess, of playing something new, uh, new to them. And it was like, I'm quite happy now to start doing expansion stuff because I'm excited about it again for a while. And then uh, <laughs> I'll do the new thing.
1: Ricky, a question for you. So, You have a bunch of variants in the back of the book, and I'm just curious: which one would you say is your favorite that you like to play with? Because I, you know, you've got the dice variant, you've got the the multicolored tiles variant. I'm just curious because simultaneous play, yeah. There's all these different things. I'm, uh, you know, what would you say is one of your favorite variants when you play? Okay,
2: well, um, strangely, the some of the variants of kind of where it began and then development flipped it and then turned it into a variant. I don't like uh-huh. a lot of I don't really like seeing a lot of variants because it it kind of suggests non-commitment to a design, but um what the variants do is they try to just give you a new kind of challenge. So the the um the fragmented servers idea for example, I mean that's it's just crazy difficult. Um, it's, it's good fun, but do expect to lose loads. Um, but so I play with that all the time now because it's the only way I want to play. Um, cause the other, the other ones I've kind of got them down. Um, you know, it, you will get to a point where you're, you, you, it's one of those, I wanted the game to be something that you could get better at. That was really important that the more you play, the better you become. Um, so a hundred games in and you, and you should be able to nail this thing flip the tiles over and suddenly you've got a new game. Um, So that's really cool. (laughs) Um, I really like the horde mode where you take away the objectives altogether and you just fight like crazy man. I like that one. Um, So, but I don't tend to, to use that very often because I'm still, um, I'm still intrigued by the design of those countermeasures, those short term goals. Um, so the short term, the, the, the game as a whole is survive till you get to the end. And then you've got a series of short term goals. And they're really there to just, to just distract you a little bit. Um, and just to give you some direction because earlier on those things. Didn't exist, um, and it was very sandboxy. And the thing about sandbox games is people don't always know what they're supposed to be doing. So these objectives came in really just to give players a little bit of direction. Um, but of course, what happens is pay, actually players obsess on them because that's that becomes the only thing you're focused on is completing the objectives. Um, so I kind of play with those a lot because it's a big part of the game now. Um, but simultaneous play is not something I have an opportunity to do very often. Uh, but it's um it's it has been fun it's great fun especially with four or five players um just to, everyone playing their turns and it it becomes it, it's strange because you'd think it would take the game a lot quicker to get over with but then this other decision point comes in about what what simultaneous play says is you know in a a traditional game is you it's your turn now and then it's your turn now it's your turn and you go around the table clockwise and then it's your turn what this says is everyone start your turn whenever you want just go when you're ready so uh and then you do your stuff and then you finish and your stuff could overlap other players turns you could start your turn and somebody else could be doing their turn and you wait for a little bit, see how they're to right now I'm going to do my next bit and it's real good fun. But what happens is, is it ends up being loads of communication because you're, well, you do this and you do this and then I'll do this and then I'll do this. So it introduces that extra layer of the game. It's a lot of fun. Um, uh, I'd love to, to witness more games of, of, of simultaneous play. It's just to sit in and be a fly on the wall on those games. is fun. Um Yeah uh but yeah definitely the fragmented service is a go to uh all the time now for difficulty i still haven't
1: tried that i got i got to do that that's it looks awesome. It just looks, like you said, really difficult. And I'm having enough of a difficulty just going <laughs> against the mother and the Viking right now. I haven't even pulled out Loki yet. So <laughs> I, I will say I have played uh, the simultaneous with my wife and with a group of four. And I will tell you, you are absolutely right. It takes longer, but man, it, it adds this layer. It actually made it feel a lot like Spirit Island because mm-hmm. Spirit Island yep. is simultaneous. So it becomes this, okay, like you said, I want to do this action and then you want to do this in the middle of me doing that other action, you know, or when, how do we want to coordinate together? And it can be, you can make some really cool things happen. I think Steve yeah. was even telling me about one time where he, he had his wife bring a, bring something over to him so then he can blow a bomb up and, you know, destroy a bunch of sparks at one time. And yeah, you know, it's just, it it provides that extra enjoyment to the game, I think, um, with co-op. But I will say that it's probably not the way you want to start playing the game. You're gonna want to play
2: it where each person has their own turn because yeah. it can yeah, it can overwhelm. And also Alpha Player takes a little over a little bit as well. And one of the ben one that's one of the challenges you have to face designing co ops is is getting everyone involved in the game. Um and but having your hand kind of hidden and protected and having your own little isolated turn means you can just do your thing without other players interfering. Uh, but yeah, for a bunch of experienced renegades, simultaneous plays good fun.
1: And Ricky, is there anything that you want to ask us? I mean, you know, we, we are. I mean, I've played your game at least at least twenty times, probably more than that. So, uh, yeah, because I mean, you I was fortunate enough to be able to get a uh, pre-production copy, so I had it then, played it at least ten or twelve times, and then I, with my final copy, I've played it at least ten or twenty times. So anything from your end being a designer curious from someone who's played
2: it, do you have any questions for us? Oh, wow, that's a that's a good question. Um, I was gonna ask you something unrenegade related, but oh, sure, uh, that too. Um, that's fine. Let's think. So, for, so in answer to your first thing, so from a renegade player's perspective, you know, I've asked so many questions of the playtesters, is what's left <laughs> untested, un, unasked? <laughs> that's,
1: a, that's a good question.
2: <laughs> totally fine. And if you don't have anything, that's fine. I was just curious. Where do, well, where do you, th- okay, as, as commentators who see a lot of games, um, and please be critical if you wish. Um, where do you think renegade fits in the market? Because I think that's one of the things is, you know, when I was looking for a publisher who to, who to go to and victory point games aren't the biggest name out there, but I took it to them because, you know, I wasn't interested in making money. I mean, they said to me, what, you know, what do you want for royalties? I said, don't worry about that. I'm just, I just want to get a game made. Um, but so I took it to them because I felt it was their kind of game. Um, but do you, th- where do you think Renegade fits in the marketplace? Is it very niche? Do you think is it, is it something that, um, you know, I don't want to lead the answer, but where, yeah, where do you think the Renegade fits in the market when you see it alongside all the other games that you play? Is that a fair question? That's, yep. a,
1: that's a really good question. Yeah, can why don't you answer first and I'll follow up. Okay. I see how it is, Steve. Throw it at me first, huh? I can do it first. You know <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm fine. Um, yeah, you know, I, I would actually... For me personally, I felt like going to Victory Point Games was pretty much spot on because I do feel like the sweet spot for the game is the solo perspective and Victory Point Games is about solo games. Yes, they've got lots of other games, but they are one of the best publishers. for If you want a solo game that gives you a challenge that is uh, a thinky game, that it's not just to chuck some dice and, and move some pieces on the board. This is an actual uh, strategic game. So to me, I felt like going to victory point games was spot on. Um, you know, I know I've gotten a lot of people coming back to me saying, oh, "Why aren't there miniatures? Can we have miniatures on the board? Why? Why isn't the board bigger and flashier and all of this?" And I just I feel like the game doesn't need that. You know, why you play this game is not to move miniatures across the board. If you're going to be doing that, pull out massive darkness from Cool Mini or not something like that. This game it's all about the card play, your hand management, the subtle movements on the board. The it, it, it's amazing how much a difference it makes to push one contaminant one partition over right <laughs> all of a sudden you could do something totally different and it's all those small changes that make the game itself so enjoyable and so I felt like, personally, where the game was uh, published was perfect, and using Kickstarter was actually really great because people could then put their money in and feel like they're supporting you, Ricky, and supporting Victory Point Games in in publishing this game. And now that it's out in retail, I just can't wait to get it to more people, show more people, and... You know, for me, this is this is a top five solo experience just because of the enjoyment of the card play, the speed of the game, and then the the fact that you can. I, I feel like every time I play it, I still learn something. I still go, oh, I had never thought about that in any of my other plays. Why didn't I? <laughs> yeah, and and to me, that's uh, that means that it's it's a game with a solid design. That's awesome. Thanks, Colin. Appreciate it. Yeah.
0: So I come from a little bit different perspective as someone who didn't back the Kickstarter. So kind of how it came about is obviously Colin and I have been working on the one-stop co-op shop and helping him out with that YouTube channel and this podcast. And um, he started talking to me about this Renegade, and I helped a little bit with the playthrough back in the day. And when I saw that in the playthrough, it looked kind of cool, you know, but it looked like, I don't know, like more of a filler type status. And uh, so later on, um, when they started coming out, Colin's like, oh, my gosh, this game is really good. i like, it is? It is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trust me. It's really, really good. You know what? Screw it. I'm going to send you a copy. So uh, uh, thanks to Colin for sending me the copy I have now. And so I sat down and started playing it. And it's like, OK. It took me, probably took me two or three times to like really grok this game, really understand the nuances. Because yeah. the first time playing through, it was like, Okay, I understand how the game plays, but I feel like there's there's something else to this. I kept playing more again, it's like okay, wait, this is this is starting to look like more uh, uh, the sum is greater than its parts. And as I kept playing, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, there's there's something here. This is this is really really good." And I can't remember when it was, but um I don't sleeve all my games. <laughs> but the ones I do think they're, they have to reach a certain level for me. Like, okay, yeah, this is a Sleever. and I can't remember when I sleeved this one. It was probably my third or fourth play. I'm like, okay, this is definitely a keeper. This is this is something that needs to get um, some attention. And I sleeved it, and uh, since then I've been having a, a heck of a time with it. So, coming from the initial perspective, where I, I, I my initial impression was more of like an kind of like an abstracts filler, and now I think it's definitely more on the heavier side. I wouldn't say it's a heavy game per se. But it's definitely on the heavier side because there's a lot of nuance and a lot of, lot of death and exactly how you described it. I got the same impression where this is a game you can become good at, and once that opened up to me, that became so it it floats somewhere between a, a filler and a heavy for me. But uh, something that can fit within a thirty minute window for solo and something that's in a small box can bring travel with me. Um, that's those are huge pluses for me. So,
2: thanks, Steve. I appreciate that. That's awesome. That's good to hear and it feels you know just being able to have some have a have someone like yourself who ticking a couple of those um objectives for me is awesome so that's great that's great feedback thank you appreciate it well my second question for you guys was um colin i think you've been asked this question before and and i think i know your answer um what about you guys designing a game um uh what's uh colin i think you said no never <laughs> but, yeah no i, uh, but I why, why why not yeah
1: cuz i you know i think that the you know you enjoy creating things and from what i'm what, what i understand if you do it as your as your job you're probably what it design you, you probably help design stuff that's that's yeah. what you love to do is designing so i'm a tax accountant i really enjoy a good rule book. I really enjoy following the rules and getting things right. <laughs> and, and. Uh, that's the type of thing. That's why I started the channel was because I loved, I loved explaining games to people and showing them how to play it right. And I felt like there's tons of YouTube videos or channels out there, but a lot of them, they just kind of explain the game in a way that people don't understand. And I wanted to be able to try and do that. Cause I felt like that was something I was generally pretty good at is explaining how to play. And so that was why I wanted to do the YouTube channel and, designing a game just sounds like a heck of a lot of work and I'm not that creative. <laughs> so, but you know, I mean, it can always change, but for me, not so much. Now, Steve though, I'll let Steve talk for himself.
0: Yeah. My answer is a little bit different. So, um, it's funny because right within the past couple of weeks or so, three or four weeks, um, of my local gaming buddies, we've been seriously talking about, uh, game design. So he got real interested in this and we've been throwing ideas back and forth. Um, but before that, um, I actually have a ongoing, uh, Google document where I've been drawing down concepts like game mechanics and doing some tweaks and stuff like that. Um, nothing too serious yet, but how I play games is I'm a big fan of house rules. I know this might turn people off a little bit, but what I like doing, I like taking, uh, seeing the game system, someone's design. And I, I definitely play a few times, play exactly how it's written a few times. But after that point, I'm like, huh what would happen if I made this adjustment? And, and sometimes I'll play it a few times solo to make sure it doesn't, doesn't break the system. And I might introduce my wife a few times so or maybe some other people. And I'll play it. And then when I explain the game, I say, Hey, by the way, this is how you play the game. But I like this slight alteration. And these are all minor alterations for, for, for the most part. I never do major overhauls of games, but that part I like doing. And so because of this innate desire to tweak games with its house rules, I've been, I've been seriously considering um, designing a game. In fact, um, when I was reaching out to Colin, I was like, you know what? I, I really want to get back to the community. I've been in board game community for a while. I want to do something in return. So I either want to do uh, some content people can, cons- can consume, either YouTube or a podcast, or I want to design a game. And uh, kind of we talked about it back and forth a little bit, and ultimately we decided to do this podcast. But now I'm doing this podcast, I'm talking with my computer over on CoopCast and the other designers. I'm, I'm seeing more into the, the mechanisms behind, behind the, the veil, essentially, kind of like you described, Ricky, as kind of reigniting that passion to design a board game. So while I don't have anything official now or anything, I, I would definitely seriously consider a design game in the future.
2: Oh, well, excellent. Well, best of luck with that because it's, yeah, it's, it's very fulfilling for sure uh, to see something come alive that you've created um, and, and take on a life of its own for sure. And, and yeah, I agree. Encourage people to house rule like crazy because it's your game. And, um, you know, we're just a bunch of individuals who've said, play it this way. But once you've got that box in your hands and you can do what you want with it, then, uh, yeah knock yourself out go for it and collaborations are good as well if you as a designer if you if you if you work with somebody else that's always good um so maybe colin maybe you're more of a collaborator because you could be the guy play testing and t- giving ideas uh, to designers maybe that's something you could think about not that I'm trying to shove you down a particular route or anything but <laughs> so i wish you the best of luck steve and uh, I look forward to hearing more about what uh, what you come up with Awesome. Yeah, we'll you, see what happens. Yeah. And would you be keen to take it to a publisher or go the self-publishing route?
0: I'm not certain. I'm probably lean towards publisher, but I mean, this is first. I want to get this podcast and this content down where it. I feel I feel pretty pleased with it. Um, I still want to grow the podcast and talk a little bit about, um, well, a little, little behind the scenes discussion here. Colin and I have been talking a little bit about. Um, doing more videos i specifically myself recording videos maybe contributing in that sense but once we kind of get this uh, content out there and i'm I'm pleased with where it is I think I'll dive deeper into a design game and then I guess the other thing too is um currently I'm play testing a game right now i I'm not sure I'm, I can talk much about what that game is exactly yet uh, but once that ends I think I'll probably get use that time to dabble into uh, board games so. So, Ricky, thanks for joining our podcast, but uh, how can people reach you?
2: Uh, Thanks, Steve. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, Folks can always reach me at boxofdelights.net. You can find uh, contacts there for Twitter, Facebook. Uh, Come over to the YouTube channel, uh, Rick Casey Royal um, on YouTube. And uh or or just email me. Feel free to email me at Ricky at net. if there's uh questions about solo gaming, co-op gaming, if you're just starting out in the in the hobby and want to find out more about solo gaming, then I'm here to help you.
0: Thanks so much for joining us, Ricky. We had a lot of fun recording the podcast. And with that, this brings us to the end of episode thirty six. I hope you enjoyed the content. If you would like to reach out to us Feel free to email us at mvpboardgames at gmail.com or Twitter at mvpboardgames. We have also started a Slack workspace. If you are not familiar with Slack, it is basically a large chat room. There you will find Mike, Peter, Colin, and I to talk about all things board games. If you'd like to join, reach out to us via email or Twitter or use the link I will be posting in the description of this episode to request an invite. While an invite is required, our Slack workspace is open to the public. I hope to see you there. and Join us next week as Mike and Peter review another game followed by a design discussion. Thanks for listening, and we will see you at the next stop. Yeah, so I want to a quick... Uh, da, 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 da. Hey guys, hey, did you keep
1: recording? Because we I haven't did. stopped. Okay, oh, good. Cool.
2: So well, you we're can, still good. You can hear this back, and we were we were talking about you. You should have. <laughs> yeah. You should have heard the language of swearing that was going on. Oh yeah, it's like about God, time it he so, left, so hard hardly. to work with him,
1: <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> ah, sometimes, yeah. Oh, see, there's, there's oh a lost two
2: minutes somewhere, the on, that'll be the that'll be the juicy stuff we cut out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god,
0: I'm so on the edge of my seat because you're like, yeah, but we're in this new game. This game is called and just and then cut it, out. <laughs> it cuts <literally>, out. Really. <laughs> <I'm> like, no! <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: what it cut out. That's hilarious. Okay.